Welcome to Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. This episode is brought to you by Set GK Goalkeeper Gloves. Gloves by the pros for the pros. With three different models to choose from, they guarantee you'll find the feel and fit you're looking for. Use promo code Just for Keeps at checkout and receive 25% off your order. It all starts with your set. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I'm your host, Carter Hawkman, and joining me this week is former DC United draft pick and current University of South Florida goalkeeper coach, Eric Klonowski. Thanks for taking the time, Eric. Thanks, Carter. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'll start us off with my standard first question, which is when did you know that you wanted to become a goalkeeper and, and what made you want to play the position? Oh, when did I become a goalkeeper? When did I want to become a goalkeeper? Um, so I was five years old and I was playing. My parents signed me up for basketball, t-ball and soccer. And I was playing all over those sports, playing every position in, in most of those sports. And then, you know, I think I got to six or seven years old and there was tryouts for I think the under nine travel team for my for my town for the soccer team. And I was just best at goalkeeper. So my parents asked me which sport I wanted to try out for. So I tried out for the soccer team. And, you know, I was playing a year or so up from what my actual age group was. And, uh, yeah, I hopped in goal. And that's just – I just ran with it from there. I didn't go full-time in goal until I was about U13. I was playing on the field for a couple teams. And then on the, on the teams that I was, you know – either playing on that were the best of my for for the group of teams that I was playing on. I played in goal for those teams. So that's kind of how I got started. And what really made you want to stick with the position? Um, I enjoyed it. Right. I mean, I I think we all stay in a position because we enjoy it. We all, we all do things that we think or we perceive that we're good at. Right. So my, my thought process and was that I'm, I'm having fun and I feel like I'm getting better. I feel good at this. So I want to get better at this. And, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. And then when, when you stop feeling like you're, like you're having fun or you're, you're not getting better at it, then I guess you have some, some different kind of thoughts about it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's simpler than a lot of people think. It's like, well, why do you like it? Well, I mean, cause I like it. I don't know. It's fun. <laughs> you know, I'm having a good time. I feel good at it, you know? Growing up in, in Lincoln Park, New Jersey, I would imagine that the New York Red Bulls had some influence on your soccer career watching, you know, guys like Thierry Henry come through Bradley Red Phillips and of course, Luis Robles. Yeah. I mean, I was New York Red Bulls at the time. I don't know if they still do, but they were, they were playing on a, a network uh, on TV in, in the New York, New Jersey area called MSG. And I used to watch those games religiously down in my basement and just be freaking out at, you know, uh, a John Wallenek goal or, you know, a, a million other older, you know, New York Red Bulls uh, stars back in the day. But yeah, that, it was that was super influential. My first professional game like that I went to was with that team that I was trying out for that under nine team. Uh, it was a DC United New York Red Bulls game way, way back in the day. And uh, yeah, no, they were definitely influential. And then when I get into college, I, I get invited to, you know, train with the Red Bulls and I played for the Red Bull under 23s for a little bit. And, you know, I was suddenly, you know, catching balls and hitting volleys to Luis Robles. So, you know, it, it was definitely playing and growing up around, around that area. New York Red Bulls were, were certainly influential on, you know, how I viewed the sport. Being six foot six, what was it like watching a guy 
and and I guess training with a guy like Luis Robles, who's one of the shorter goalkeepers in in you know now the history of Major League Soccer. Oh yeah, I mean, I it's it's such a not even a thought, you know, for, from from my perspective, it's not even something that I you know consider. It's just it's you know this there's attributes of me as a goalkeeper that that make me you know play the way I do. There's attributes about Luis or Nick Ramondo or whoever who play the way they do. It doesn't mean that you know we both of us can't be effective in what what it is that we do. It's just we're gonna have to go about things a, diff- a little bit differently, you know. So. Luis was one of the, the nicest guys, the nicest guys in the world, one of the best professionals. So uh, it was great working with him for the short time that I did, you know. <laughs> I, I, can, I can only imagine. I mean, it's a weird question, but how old were you when you started to just be taller than everyone else at your age? <laughs> I would say uh, when I was probably like my freshman year in high school, I, I shot up and I was, a, you know, a big string bean at the time. Uh, not like I'm not anymore, but <laughs> more more specifically then. <laughs> Did it play into you sticking with the with the position at all? I mean, I know it's we we both know how much fun it is, but I mean, did it? Because I mean, I I'm I peaked at six one. Um, that's that's when I stopped growing, and I mean, it's it's a great. I mean, it's a good height for a goalkeeper, but you you always wish you were taller. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you get. A lot of people, I guess it's kind of like the societal and, you know, your coaches and your your friends and all those kind of interjections of, oh, my God, you're so tall. You must be so good. And even people who don't see you or, you know, before you even step on the field, you know, at times you'd hear like the other team talking like, oh, my God, this guy is massive. And it's like, all right, you know, it just kind of it, it motivates you. You know what I mean? Because it's like, wow, everybody else thinks that. I should be this, um, you know, monster in goal. And even if you're not, even if, you know, I'm, <laughs> even at times if I felt passive on the day or, you know, if I felt like I wasn't on my stuff, you know, and I still have this perception as long as my, my body language was good and my presence was good and I was allowed, it's like, oh, my God, there's this massive goalkeeper back there, you know. And, and that's kind of what it was, honestly, when I was a, a freshman in college. It was like I was, I was so, so scared. I, like, I wouldn't say scared, but I was very nervous you know, my first, you know, handful of games playing for Mammoth, And, you know, I look, I'm like 6'6", you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not all that, not not the the thickest guy in the world, but, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy that's yelling his head off and getting really animated. And it's like, wow, he must be fantastic. And I was like, I was so nervous, you know. Luckily, I had, you know, a team in front of me that gave up, you know, half a shot a game. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that gave me some wiggle room to kind of get my feet wet in the college game at first, you know. Yeah, I mean, at what what age did you decide it was time to focus on soccer? You, you mentioned you played a bunch of sports growing up. I mean, because a lot of the goalkeepers I've talked to didn't decide until late in their high school careers, myself included, to, you know, to stick with soccer, a decision that a lot of us wish we could have made earlier. Yeah, no, I, I started I started very early, I would say. I I started, like I said, when I when I was specifically uh, trying out for that that t- under nineteen. I was trying out as a goalkeeper, and then I double carded after you know a year or two with another a, a couple other town teams that that were older than me, where I played in the field, and I did that until I was U twelve, U thirteen, and then I was full time goalkeeper from you know twelve years old on, and and that was it. But. I were, my dad played basketball in college, and it was always something that I was interested in. So 
I would say up until that age, every summer I went to some basketball camp or something like that. And I still enjoy playing basketball, but yeah, I, I didn't take any other sport seriously um, other than soccer and goalkeeping uh, after about 11, 12 years old. Is that something that you would advise to other goalkeepers that are still developing? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think it's, I think I really preach right now having, you know, uh, not having your identity intertwined with you as a goalkeeper at a young age, because as you get older, it becomes very, very difficult to separate, you know, you as a human, you as a brother, a son, or whatever, and then you as a goalkeeper. So, you know, and I, I've talked about this a million times, but, you know, it's when you're at a certain level and let's say you're in college, let's say you're playing professionally and you don't do well, and this is your means to moving forward, this is, you know, what you've associated your identity to be, you know, your entire life, and when you don't do well at it, when you don't feel like you're getting better, you start to question kind of your value as a person, and your value to society, and your your self-worth, and all those kinds of things, which really, you know, your on-field performance, how well you catch or kick a ball, has nothing to do, or shouldn't have anything to do with your you know, value as a human being or your, you know, ability to be loved or anything like this. So I would really heavily advise every youth goalkeeper to be more than just a goalkeeper because you are, it's just, we trick ourselves at times thinking we're just goalkeepers. Yeah. It's, it's one of those mental states that you, especially when you're in the season, you really don't think about a whole lot else. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's very, it's very, very easy to, to get caught up in, you know, I'm just a goalkeeper. And, and at times, you know, you need to be. But can you also be, you know, a, a good musician? Can you also be, a, you know, a fantastic goalkeeper and be, you know, a great artist or, you know, I don't know, have other hobbies that, that you know, ask you and challenge you to, to do different things and put you outside of a different comfort zone and just make it so when you do get punched in the face, which you will, that, you know, you don't go back to your bedroom and go, you know, who am I? What, what, you know, why am I here? What is this kind of, what is the purpose? And all those kinds of questions you have when you get slapped around and, you know, at a certain level and you're like, you know, wh what is, what is the real purpose here? Yeah. I mean, there's that Mike Tyson quote, you know, everyone's a great boxer until they get punched in the mouth. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So you went to DePaul Catholic high school. How would you describe your high school career? Did you start on the freshman team? Did you start on varsity right away? How did it go for you? I would describe my high school career as influential. I would be very, very surprised. And I, I would describe mom in, in a similar way. I would be very, very surprised if we were talking right now, if I didn't go to DePaul Catholic and if I didn't go to Monmouth. I think if I went to any different two schools, I don't know if I'm a professional soccer player. I think both those institutions were that influential on, on my development as a goalkeeper and as a human. Um, but... DePaul, I walked in and I was the backup for the JV, the junior varsity team to start. We didn't have a freshman team my freshman year. Um, and then I kind of split time as a sophomore on JV and then my junior year as a starter on varsity. Started two years on varsity and then kind of ran with it from there. Was there a moment for you, it could have even been before high school, where you thought to yourself, I know I want to play college and even pro soccer? Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I had conversations with my friends and family and my, you know, my parents saying at like 11, 12 years old, like, no, we're going to go this team because we're going to go play for this team. It's going to give me a better chance to be a professional soccer player. Now, I wasn't 
I wasn't like thinking, how do I become a professional soccer player right now? But uh, uh, there were times where I was like doing the math in my head. I was like, you know, there's, and I'm not very good at math. So this math was definitely wrong. Oh, I'm horrific but, at math. But it, it, but it was just a way for me to rationalize what, that my dreams are realistic. It was like, okay, if my team is top 10 in New Jersey and New Jersey's had this number of pros, well, odds are saying that, you know, this number of us will go pro. And that gives me a decent chance of being a pro. And, you know, it's funny, like I, I have a, a group chat and I'm, I'm friends with a, a handful of professional goalkeepers from New Jersey that are of similar age group that I am. And it's like, it, those odds were right. You know, the, the, the top six goalkeepers from, you know, when we were 12, 13 years old, we were all professionals. We were all either still professionals or we're all professionals still, you know? So, so it, it's, it's funny in that sense, but yeah, I was having those conversations. I was saying, you know, mom, dad, I want to go here because I want to be a professional right now. Now I was still taking, you know, very realistic, you know, hardworking day-to-day steps to, to make those dreams uh, a reality. But, yeah, I was thinking about becoming a pro, you know, from a very, very early age. Wow. If I had only done the math, I probably could have done, I could have been a professional goalkeeper, but I just didn't do the math. <laughs> um, it yeah. sort of leads me into my next question, which is, you know, everyone's recruiting process is different, and everyone has different reasons as to why they ended up at their at their particular school. But, What's the story and how you landed at Monmouth? Yeah, so I, um, my college recruiting process started with a couple of local schools that were reaching out my junior year. And then, uh, you know, there was, there was a decent amount of traction there. Um, and then I went to Dallas Cup my, the end of my junior year. And Dallas Cup is, a, you know, for those who don't know, it's, it's a, a pretty sizable tournament. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if it's not one of the bigger tournaments in the United States, though. I, I think it is. Um, but I went to Dallas Cup junior year spring, and we played FC Dallas the first game, and I, I did okay. Uh, I, I had a decent game, and the SMU assistant coach, who's now the head coach there, uh, watched me play and emailed me after the game and said, hey, Eric, I'd, I'd, like, you know, I'd like you to come down to campus and come visit. And, you know, I, we were staying – we actually stayed in the same hotel that I stayed then when we played SMU with USF this past year. So a little nostalgia there when we uh, pulled into the parking lot. But um, so uh, I was in a situation where none of the parents really came with us to Dallas Cup. There were maybe one or two parents that came with us, but it's a significant financial investment. So we were just, a lot of us were just, um, were, were just there on our own. And we had one or two parents that would drive us all the game. So, you know, when SMU said, oh yeah, come down to, come down to campus, which was like a mile away, um, you know, I didn't really have a ride, and Uber did this then, and I didn't. I certainly didn't have a smartphone then to, to figure that out. Maybe I, I think I had a BlackBerry back then. So nice. <laughs> but I ended up walking like a mile down the road in Dallas with one of my teammates to go take my first official visit or my first visit um, at, at SMU. And you know, we get back to New Jersey afterwards. Everything's going well. They give me an offer. I end up committing there, and then I just kind of get. A little, you know, a little too much senioritis, and I don't take the grades seriously enough. I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm an all American. I'm gonna be fine. I'm, I'm, I'm good. There, uh, there's no way anything is gonna go wrong here. And um, you know, a day before signing day, um, the SMU coaching staff reaches out to me and goes, 
you didn't get into school, buddy. Like, we can't give you a scholarship. You're not, you can't come. I mean, <laughs> your, your grades weren't good enough. And I was just like, what? We've, you've had my grades, you know, for six months now. Give me a shout. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> we, we waited till a day before signing day to let me know. So that was, you know, spring of my senior year now. And I'm like, holy, what do I tell my parents? This is not going to be good. So then I have the most uncomfortable conversation with my parents, kind of like 30 minutes later. You know, and then it's kind of like I have a decision to make, you know, I, I got punched in the face. I got, I got to figure this out or, or I could just sit there and feel sorry for myself. You know, there's, there's, there's two options there. I, I could, you know, sit there and feel sorry for myself or, you know, wear it, swallow it and, and move on and try to figure out the next best option. And, you know, I was an all American in, in high school and there was going to be, you know, this big signing day the next day. So the next day in, in school was that was that was pretty embarrassing but you know I, I needed to learn that lesson I needed to learn that lesson and and I and I think I did um but still you know there was still some kind of um interest luckily from from a decent amount of schools so uh that next day I had a a letter from my guidance counselor saying that if Eric gets a call um from a college coach in school like he can pick it up and it was like every five minutes I was I remember sitting in like you know faith formation class picking up my phone just like on my phone and just feeling like you know i i couldn't be touched because i had this note from my guidance counselor <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah after that day uh i took in a i took a visit to monmouth the following day the next day i took a visit to iona and then i think it was that thursday i was supposed to take a visit to binghamton but after i took my visit to iona and monmouth i had already been to binghamton for for a game um the year before so I knew what the campus looked like and I knew that I wanted to go go to Monmouth so I ended up committing to Monmouth that that next day and yeah the rest is kind of history I think for the sake of being in an America East school myself we're glad you didn't go to Binghamton but (laughs) um our home opener my freshman year in in 2015 was actually against you uh a game we won one nothing not a huge deal um there I, was some there was some spice to that game there was the I was gonna before, ask if you remember it you six nothing right I was gonna ask if you remember that game yeah of course no I remember every game <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so you guys had Willito you guys were good you you had a good team yeah the your first year up at division one level I think was you know an acclimation process but then I think we came in expecting probably to just do the same thing and you guys were there for a fight and we were there to pass the ball around the field. Yeah, I think I remember them saying to to me, you know, as a freshman, like, "Oh, last year they spanked us around five nothing," yeah. um, and then it, I, well, I remember that goal clear as day. But you know, we don't have to get into that. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna say though that you and I had polar opposite college careers, but they may have differed a little bit in the statistics category. Okay, I'm not gonna list them all because when I looked up your mama's stats, they literally took up half the page. But to hit the main points. In two separate years, you led all of Division One in the NCAA in goals against average, two-time MAC goalkeeper of the year, and were named to the MAC 35th anniversary second team. What would you say is your biggest takeaway or, or takeaways from your college career? It takes a village. There's there's no statistic that you just listed that was down to just me. So, like I said, my freshman year, I was I was in there nervous. I did I did not deserve to be the goalkeeper that had the lowest goals against average my freshman year. It happened because we were a really good team. We had a really good team. I had a really good, you know, there's, there's a really good coaching staff leading the way. There was a really good, 
you know, uh, group of guys in front of me and, and I was communicating and I was, you know, I was doing my best, but the, the fact is that you could have probably thrown a cone in there and, and probably, you know, gotten similar, gotten a similar result just because we were that good. Um, and, and it was a shame that we lost in, in penalty kicks in, in the final of the MAC tournament, but that team was very, very good. And, and I think you saw that carry over into my sophomore year because we were, we were just as good. And that, that was, that team was probably the strongest team I had been on in college my sophomore year because we went we went on a really good run and unfortunately got knocked out of the NCAA tournament by Xavier, but it, it was narrow. It was very very narrow. And uh, yeah, I w- I would say my biggest takeaway from from all those statistics is that it 100% takes a village and you know a rising tide raises all ships. Yeah, it's funny. I mean. Both of our sophomore seasons, we had incredible teams. I mean, my sophomore season was the year we went thirteen one and two and finished third in the country. Yeah. Um. So that was you know that was a wild ride. Yeah, itself, you but... guys finished third in the country, but you weren't allowed in the tournament, right? Yep, because that was our yeah, fourth. That, I and, remember uh, seeing that, and I was like, that is insane. It that was foul. Insane. We foul, but you know, rules are rules. Yeah. Um. I mean, you talk about the people in front of you, and I want to ask about the people behind you a little bit, and. Because, you know, how many goalkeepers were, were on the roster when you were there? We never had more than three. But how important to not only the team's development, but to your development, are those other goalkeepers on the roster? Oh, they were immense. They were immense. I literally was just talking to one of them, like, you know, 30 minutes ago. Um, but, but, yeah, they, they, you know, they needed to push me, and, and I needed to push them, and that's how we all get better, right? Healthy competition is is – uh, important, but I think really the, the main thing there is that we're all selfless enough to say that this was bigger than each of us as an individual. Everybody, you know, all of us, there was a really strong culture within those groups that put the ego to side and, and said, you know, wh- whatever it is that my role is, whatever it is that I have to do, whether it's pushing me, whether it's, you know, me having to take a step aside and, and you know, whatever it is. We, we all put those egos to the side and, and we and we challenged each other for for the good of the program. And I, and I think you saw that with, you know, if you look at us in a in a conference game or a conference tournament game and you see the, the level of fight in those teams, it, it's not easy. It's not difficult to see what I'm talking about, because everybody's putting everything out in the field and everybody is doing everything they can to win the game, you know, and, and it and. Not as an individual, 100%. That we were successful because we were we were very very close knit as a group. So talk to me about the next couple of years after you graduate Monmouth and you leave Monmouth because a lot happened. Yeah, a lot happened. A, a lot, a lot happened. Uh, <laughs> so I once I left Monmouth, um, I was going on trials all over the place. So I, I got invited to like four or five combines, like, you know, uh, MLS-specific combines, and then the MLS combine itself. Um, so I ended up going to – was I went to the Vegas combine, which was, I think, Colorado Rapids, Columbus Crew, Orlando City, Seattle Sounders, I think. I could be missing a team in there. Um, I went to – I went to the Toronto FC combine. I went to I – got, I got invited on trial at Everton which was a, a wild ride for sure. Probably do a whole podcast on that, on that three weeks. Uh, and then straight after Everton, I went from Liverpool. I flew 
to Portugal to Philly. Uh, Portugal was just like a connector flight, but it was because of how it all broke down. I had to do that like, you know, on a whim very quickly because it, it was the plan was not for me to go to the MLS combine, but it turned out that I needed to on, a, on short notice. So I had to book a flight. And what ended up happening is I, you know, flew from Liverpool to I think I think it was Lisbon, 19 hour layover in the airport over the night, flew into Philadelphia. Mom picked me up, drove me back to the the apartment i slept for like three or four hours drove me back to the philadelphia airport flew to la and was playing in the combine the next day Yeesh. That's... yeah so i was like i was like eight hours behind so we were having games at like two or three o'clock and it felt like it was like 10 11 o'clock at night for me so my, my combine was terrible I, I i wear that you know i was i was so nervous and i i had like all these expectations i felt like that i'd put on myself and that people had put on me and I was, you know, jet lagged for sure. And it was, it was just not a good combine. I, I just didn't play well. It wasn't a good representation of, of me or, you know, my body of work, but it is what it is. You, you, again, you get slapped around, you got to respond. And uh, yeah, I just tried to put my best foot forward. So I end up, you know, I fall, I got, I was projected at like 11, um, 11 overall. I end up getting taken at 32 or 34 or something like that um, by DC United, which was, which was awesome. Uh, and then I, I, you know, more, more things happened. So I ended up signing a first team deal with DC United and, you know, two meniscus surgeries later, I'm, I'm released and, you know, I'm, I'm heading to Israel and <laughs> I, I head over to Israel for, for six, seven months. And then TFC comes into the picture. I signed for TFC in 2019 and then get punched in the face and the third meniscus surgery comes um, and, and then battling back, battling back. Um, was in a really good place with TFC, TFC too. I, I, I have so much respect for that club, and I'm I'll be such a huge fan of that club for for a long time. And then uh, got loaned out to Tacoma for Seattle Sounders second team. Uh, and then you know I felt like it, it made sense to look for other avenues, and and now I'm here. I'm pretty sure that MLS combine you went to was the same one that my former teammate Willito Fernandez attended. Oh yeah, we played so much ping pong together. It was great. <laughs> I remember, I remember they were streaming all the scrimmages, so a lot of us from lower were watching. And I just remember seeing you and thinking, I was like, oh, well, I know that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny because like everybody at the combine is is like for the most part like 22, 23. Meanwhile, Wilito is like thirty five. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think I think he was twenty six or twenty seven that year. Yeah, yeah. But I mean <laughs> his. Because he got grandfathered his... in, right? He got grandfathered yeah. in from D2, and then, you know, he was just that good. So, they were like, yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, his story on its own is is a whole series of podcasts. But I'm that's... sure. I'm sure it is. But, you know, aside from the obvious things like, you know, speed of play and the power of the shots coming at you, what were some of the biggest things you noticed after your first few professional seasons? Um, Day-to-day is challenging. I think that my body was not... Um, in a position that it was not accustomed to the the ten month or the the ten month everyday grind, you know, I, I was used to you know four months and then you you know you get like a, a month or so off and you do your own training, you play pickup and all that stuff. But you know, you hit. I I used to call it like the freshman or the, the rookie wall kind of thing, where it's like middle of the summer, you've just gone through you know a month and a half, two months long of preseason. And depending on who you've been drafted by, 
you were either in, you know, Florida, the hottest place you could find, or Arizona or L.A., and it's just, you know, the hottest month and a half, two months of hard work that there is. <clears throat> Sorry. I got some water. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, yeah. Um, I would say that the most challenging thing there is, you know, we're not really set up to, to be competing uh, for, for 10 months at a time. Because if you think about it, you're going from if you played USL2 or PDL, what it was called back then, the, the summer before, which I did for New York Red Bulls under 23s all summer, then you're going straight into the college season. Then you're going straight from college on these trials, straight from trials, straight into preseason if, you got, if you've gotten drafted. And then you're going for, you know, 10 months until, you know, the following November pretty much. And it's like you're almost playing, you know, 15, 16 months straight of soccer. And what it turns into is a lot of college guys get pretty significant injuries, um, you know, within their first year of playing uh, in, in the MLS or in, in, the, in the USL. So there, there was only I think there were three or four of us that were rookies um, my freshman or my, my rookie year at DC United. And I'm pretty sure three of us went under the knife at some point during the year. Jeez. Yeah. So it's, it's not really conducive. I would say that, you know, that's, that scheduling probably needs, needs to alter a little bit, but I don't know how much, how much it will. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, just, I mean, I think with everything that's happening now and the way the seasons are structured out and seeing a lot of professionals now go down with those injuries because of the prolonged season and the hiatuses is, yeah, that might change, but you're right. It might take something even bigger, but I mean, but when did you know that you wanted to get into coaching? Oh, I, I've always been like a real, real student of the game. I, I would say that I, I was never, I was never, you know, that good because I had this innate ability or this, my, this special skill that, that I've been honing, for example, like maybe you talk about a special skill, like, like Ederson's side volley, for example, like that's something that, that really sets him apart. Right. I, my, if I had a special skill, it was that, you know, I was huge. That that <laughs> I was that, gonna that, say you can't you can't coach height. Yeah, you you can't coach height. But what I was really what what separated me was my desire to understand the game, my desire to get better. You know, from from what I felt like I could impact. So you know, my positioning, for example, my understanding of the game, how I could position my teammates what my presence looked like, all, all those kind of things, things that maybe, you know, if you're not in the goalkeeper world, you're not really thinking about when you're talking about, you know, oh, a goalkeeper got a shot. I was like, oh, but he didn't make a save. It's like, yeah, but he organized, you know, or he or she organized, you know, so efficiently that they only really had to do two or three really significant actions. So that, that kind of thing is something that was always, you know, a part of what I did because I always felt like, I wasn't that athletic. I wasn't that, you know, influential with my feet or that good at reading the ball in the air when the ball was played into the box or anything like that. So I knew that I needed it to be at least as smart, if not smarter than every other goalkeeper that I was competing with, because I, I didn't, I didn't think that I, that I had it, which maybe was part of my issue too, is I needed to have, you know, a little bit more self-belief, but my whole thing was, you know, from, from the time I was at a really young age, it's like, I want to be a pro, I want to be a pro, I want to be a pro. And then you get there and it's like, well, now what? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was a, that was a little bit of an interesting um, transition for me. But but yeah, I think um, one of the things that one that urged me to get into coaching is that I, I really wanted to have more of an impact on the world than I thought that I was having as a player. And I think I alluded to that a little bit is like when you when you go through tough times as a player and, you know, you're not you don't feel like you're getting better and you're getting you're separated from your family and, you know, you, you see, you know, family time that you're missing out on and, and things like that. It's like. I want to make more purposeful use of my time and I want to be, you know, impacting lives in the way that, in the way that I want to. And I don't, I don't, you know, coming off 10 months of quarantine in Toronto and then being sent to Seattle, you know, even further from, from most of my family. Um, it was challenging and it, and it was, I knew, and I, I had been offered, you know, coaching positions in the past while I was playing, but I knew if, if the right thing showed up, um, I was going to take it and it was what I wanted to do. And it just so happened that the right thing showed up. And, and I, to be fair, I, I seeked it out. I, I, I went out and, and looked for it. And, you know, I, my, my girlfriend was living in Florida, is living in Florida. My brother is living in Florida with two nephews. My mom is in Florida, you know, so um, there, there was a, a lot of underlying factors there, but, I've wanted to coach for a long, 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 long time. And, and I do feel very, very purposeful with the work that I do now. And, and I think that it, from my perspective, from what I was doing, I do feel more purposeful um, and, and more, more like I'm valuing my time on the earth uh, as a coach than I, than I was as a player. What would you say are some of the bigger takeaways from your playing days that you've, that you've now tried to implement into your coaching? Ah, oh, that's, that's, that's a vague one, Carter. I'm, I'm going to try and think of something good for you, okay? Uh, <laughs> what are some of the big takeaways? Um, resilience, for sure. Resilience has to be there, you know, because, like I said, you're going to get punched in the face. Uh, you have to be doing it because you love it. Don't do anything that you don't love. So if at any point, you know, that, that it, it changes and, you know, you're not, you're not loving everything about it anymore, um, you know, you should make a change. You should make a change 100%. I think the identity thing is, is super huge for me. Uh, you know, I, throughout my entire life, I was Eric the goalkeeper, Eric the goalkeeper. Everybody knew me as Eric the soccer player, you know, and, and that is something I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with parents in the last two, three months uh, for, for Florida Premier goalkeepers or, you know, my USF goalkeepers saying, hey, you, you guys are not just goalkeepers. You got to go figure out something else you like. I don't care, but put the ball down, go be a kid, go do something else. Because it, to be successful at a really high level, it's about handling pressure. And, and I wasn't very good at handling pressure on the field. And you need a really robust psychology to do that. And, and I didn't with regard to, you know, standing in front of, um, you know, situations that really, really mattered to me from a professional level to, to put food on the table. And I want to make sure that, that the goalkeepers that I have they have that robust psychology because they don't feel like they're just goalkeepers. So when they get knocked down, they can come back much quicker than I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I recently talked to a high school goalkeeper coach in, in my uh, last podcast that is uh, at this point, as we're talking, it is yet to be, but you know, he, he, he handed me a Yogi bear quote. It's, you know, 90% of the game is, is mental. The other half is physical. Uh, yeah. So. Sure. I mean, hundred percent. I yeah. agree. I mean, you've also touched a goal and all that you tell everyone about that. 
Yes, yeah, Seth UK. Um, like like I said, I you know I want to be influential with my time on the earth, and I I want to have a certain level of of freedom over what it is that I do, and you know I I wanted something that I could call mine. You know what I mean? So I have you know uh, a glove brand that I've started with a, a group of really good really good goalkeepers and and goalkeeper minds that that we've been working on since you know a year and a half, two years now, and we launched this past September, but we're you know, turning and burning. And uh, we've signed in the last last couple months, we've signed guys like uh, Sam Howard, who's playing for Oklahoma City Energy, Jan, Jan Filion over in the, the Finnish First Division, uh, Noah Abrams, who's playing for Loudoun United. And, you know, we're, we're picking up a lot of momentum. And yeah, yeah, Seth UK is, is definitely going in the right direction. Eric, uh, I really appreciate you coming on today. And, and seriously, good luck with everything moving forward with coaching, especially with Seth UK. Thank you, Carter. I really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. This has been another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Thank you so much again for Eric Lenowski for coming on. I've been your host, Connor Hawkman. We will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just for Keeps. 